0: we welcome in from CBSSports.com, Shahan j araja Shahan, good morning how are you
1: hey i'm doing great thanks as always for having me let's uh, let's begin
0: with uh, one of my favorite subjects nil uh i noticed that uh, on uh, com, you've got an article uh where the uh, this year some schools will actually sell jerseys where the uh, the, the kids are going to be part of the nil program and And to me, when I looked at that and and just read that article, to me, that's what NIL was meant to do. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's the most natural, probably, of of any of the the NIL offerings. I mean... For years, obviously, people have wanted to have jerseys named with uh, people's names on the back. I mean, I remember when I was in school, I mean, everybody had a number 14 jersey, but it wasn't allowed to be a Bryce Petty jersey anymore. What is that, right? I mean, and so I think that this is righting a wrong in a lot of ways, and I think, uh, you know, so far only a couple of schools have publicly announced it to LSU, Oklahoma, Washington, and Penn State among them. But I expect that by the time that we head towards the season, uh, there's going to be a lot of teams that you're going to have the opportunity to buy it. Certainly, I think that you Hopefully Baylor will be in that picture as well. Uh, based on the, the wording that we got from Fanatics, which is the group that's kind of facilitating this, they offered this to dozens of schools. And so you'd expect that most of the Power Five schools would have the opportunity to do it. And, and yeah, I mean, it's just a no-brainer, right? I mean, it, everybody wants to, you know, to have a jersey of their favorite player, uh, you know, and, and that's such a driver for revenue in other sports as well. So I, I think that it makes a lot of sense that it's finally happening in college football.
0: When you look at the NIL and what it has brought to college football, and we've talked about it several times, it's basically now college football is free agency. Who has the deepest pockets? Unless we can figure out a way to do something like the jersey sales and maybe curtail this a little bit, is it just going to get worse or do you think it's going to taper off?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think that we're just so new into this, right? And so everybody's chasing this money, everybody's chasing this short-term opportunity. But I think the thing is, right? I mean, you know, there's a reason that kids go to Alabama and it's not cuz necessarily they're getting paid to be there it's because they will have the best chance to be drafted into the nfl They'll they'll have the best chance of being a first round nfl draft pick i mean you look at alabama's rate of putting five stars into the nfl in the first round and it's so much higher than other schools and ultimately you know people have to make decisions that are best for them from a long-term perspective this is a new factor and so everybody's trying to be first on it everybody's trying to maximize everything that they can but the reality is, you know, if, if there are opportunities where, you know, kids are coming out of school because they think that they're going to get an NIL opportunity and they don't get on the field or they don't get developed, it's going to be way bigger of a detractor than anything that NIL can have provided. So I think that it's going to taper off in the coming years. It's always going to be a part of the game. I mean, and, and yes, you know, you're going to have situations like, you know, frankly, this, this Texas offensive line thing, that's a little bit of a sham, uh, you know, that's that's kind of obviously meant to funnel money to players and, and that's just gonna be part of it. But I think that at the end of the day, if you know, if Texas doesn't have success, if Texas doesn't develop offensive linemen, uh that's what's going to ultimately come out of this.
0: Shay, I want to switch gears a little bit. What exactly is going on at Auburn?
1: <laughs> if you uh if you figure out, please tell me. But uh, you know, I, I think I think more than anything else, right? I mean, if you're Auburn right now, You just saw Georgia, a team that hasn't won a national championship since 1980, win a national championship. You have Alabama win the year before. And by the way, those are your two rivals, and those are two teams that you play every single year. And so I think for Auburn right now, it's really less to do with Brian Harson He plays a part, don't get me wrong. And it's more about the fact that Auburn feels its program kind of backsliding while these two programs only continue to move forward to arguably be, you know, two of the five top programs in college football. And so, you know, you look at this pass recruiting class for Auburn uh, – it's fine. You know, it's number 18 in the country, but that makes them eighth in the SEC. I mean, the, the level of talent acquisition that dominates the SEC is just on another level. And, and that's the thing, right? I mean, when you look at the, you know, when you look at Georgia, I think that that's going to be a model in a lot of ways for other programs. It's going to be, you know, yes, they, they scheme up very well. Yes. They have a good defensive mind in Kirby smart. They have a good defensive mind in Dan Lanning, but really the thing that made them a championship program was just acquiring players. And so I'd expect that, You know, at Auburn, if they do end up making a change, they're going to push out this guy who's from the West Coast, who's more of a football coach than he is a recruiter, and probably bring in somebody who's going to be a little bit more of a pure recruiter, because I think that that's what the fan base believes is going to get them competing with Alabama and Georgia. Now, here's the thing, though, right? I mean, I don't know if there's a program poised to be a bigger loser in this Texas-Oklahoma thing than Auburn. Because all of a sudden, you're competing with Oklahoma and Texas, potentially in your division. You're competing with Texas A&M, who has long-term stability, at head coach with Jimbo Fisher. You got LSU, you got Alabama, you got Georgia on your schedule every single year. I mean, Auburn might just be in trouble, right? I mean, this might be sort of a last gasp before Auburn starts to decline a little bit. But I I think that certainly there's such fervor there for them to be a championship-level program that they're going to uh, cut ties and do crazy things to try to do anything that they can to get back to competitiveness.
0: Was there anything crazy? Uh, any any big splash on National Signing Day? I mean, with with the early signing period, it almost feels like it's, it, you know, for lack of a better term, almost an afterthought at times.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that that's how it was, and I think that's how it's going to be heading forward. But I think that we do have to point to the fact that Texas A&M capped off the number one signing class of all time in the two four seven era. I mean, this is not a program that's competed for number one classes. They've never had a class higher than three in, in the two four seven rankings. And Jimbo Fisher also too had never had a number one overall class, even after winning a national championship at Florida State. So. You know, I I mentioned, right, this has become such a talent acquisition game, and I think that you look at the talent that they did acquire in a lot of ways, and, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of Jimbo Fisher's 2011 recruiting class at Florida State. You know, I think that that class finished number two in the country, and it featured a lot of the players who are going to be the bones of a national championship team now. I think that Texas A&M has a lot more work to do than that Florida State team did, but this is the kind of class that you need to really get into that stratosphere, especially when you're competing against the Nick Sabans and Kirby Smart and Ryan Days of the world. Uh, and so I think that I mean, Texas A&M has only you know, won 10 games one time since 1998. They haven't won a conference since 1998. Uh, it's been a long time, right? I mean, so history is against them in a lot of ways, but if you are going to buck that trend, this is how you have to do it.
0: Does that all really matter till you turn those into wins, though?
1: No, I mean it doesn't. I mean, to, Kevin Sumlin had a number three overall recruiting class. He also had the number two uh, player in the country in my Garrett come, who became the number one overall draft pick. Yet two five-star quarterbacks come in. I mean, recruiting hasn't been the main issue at Texas A&M, but to go in and really compete with that Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State level of recruiting, I think is a big deal. And ultimately, again, you know, sometimes you have to build it first before it comes. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to see now. You know, Jimbo Fisher, we know he can recruit. We know that he can acquire talent. I I think the question now is whether, well, like you kind of mentioned, whether he can deploy that talent. And the other thing, too, I, I mean, when you are recruiting like this, you should not be losing to Ole Miss. You should not be losing to Mississippi State. So I think that the flip side of this, too, is that if you're recruiting at this level and you don't ultimately even compete for the SEC West, That's unacceptable. And ultimately, when Jimbo Fisher came to town, he was handed a plaque with a blank date that said national championship on it. That's the goal. If he doesn't win a national championship at Texas A&M with everything that they've put forward, with all the resources they've poured into the program, with the level that they're recruiting at, it would be a failure. And so I think that that will be the bar that Jimbo Fisher's judged on. And every coach since 1939 at Texas A&M has failed that test.
0: Shayon, I think for me, one of the the oddest things that stuck out as far as National Signing Day goes really wasn't even with recruits. It was Jim Harbaugh uh, being on an interview for the job uh, in the NFL. If you're a player, if you're a recruit and you see that, does, are you kind of apprehensive to consider Michigan?
1: I think that the reason that players weren't too apprehensive about it is, one, I mean, I, I think that it was always a little bit of a loss that he was going to get the job. I think the other thing, too, is that you feel like a lot of the staff would probably be in place. I mean, I think that you would assume that either Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, or Mike Hart, uh, the running backs coach, who's obviously a Michigan man, I I think that you kind of assume that one of those guys will be promoted. So I I think it would be kind of similar to a Marcus Freeman situation at Notre Dame, where, yes, the head coach leaves, but in a lot of ways, some of the draws of the program are still there. So I don't think that it would have necessarily collapsed the entire recruiting class and uh, the the reality is too i mean some of these rumors started to pop up earlier and a lot of players still signed in back in december because they were still confident in the direction of the program I, i mean Michigan still did, even if Jim Harbaugh were to leave, they still did beat Ohio State for the first time in a decade. They still did just play in the college football playoffs. They still have recruited at a high level. So I think that a lot of the draws would have still been there. But but certainly, whenever you're a head coach, I mean, I, people in Waco know this well, but whenever a head coach is, is obviously flirting with the NFL, it, it's not helpful.
0: Uh, before you came on, we were kind of talking off air uh, about basketball, and the question came up, Is Baylor and Kansas now a rivalry? I know during the broadcast that got brought up a couple of times, and when you look at what Baylor's doing right now, and obviously the future's still bright there, but as a Baylor grad, in your opinion, is Baylor-Kansas men's basketball a rivalry, or is it something that's going to become a rivalry?
1: Yeah, I think that i probably lean a little more on they become a rivalry. I mean, look, you know, I was back there, like you mentioned, uh, from, from 2012 to 2016. And, and Baylor, I mean, every game against Kansas, for, against anybody, right, is, is a little bit of a rivalry game. Everybody wants to be Kansas. It's kind of like playing Texas or Oklahoma in football. But I think that over these past couple of years, Baylor just definitely kind of stood up to Kansas as well, right? I mean, they did finally go, uh, I, I believe it was back that 2017 team, was the first team to go and win at Allen Seals House. And they've competed a little bit better historically, obviously Saturday notwithstanding. And so I, I think that if Baylor's able to win another Big 12 at some point, if they're able to, to make another Final Four, I, th- I think that that's really it more than anything else. Because for Kansas, I, I mean, It's the University of Kansas. This is maybe the most historic basketball program that there is in the country. I mean, James Nazitz was the dang basketball coach there at one point. So they, I think, more than anything else, it's less about the games between them, and it's more about Baylor reaching their status. It's more about them you know, competing at that level consistently. Because, look, realistically, anybody can have a good team. And Baylor had one of the great teams in the history of college basketball. It's more about sustained success. So I think that it's less about – are these games good? Do people care about these games? And to be a real rival to Kansas, I think it's going to be, does Baylor elevate itself long-term as a program? And right now, I think they're well on the way.
0: All right, how, what are you working on for CBSports.com right now?
1: Yeah, so obviously we just finished up National Signing Day. We have a lot of great content from over there around that. I wrote about Texas A&M, and I wrote about Jimbo Fisher uh, kind of fighting back a little bit at some of the claims that people made during his Signing Day press conference. And then I'm going to have a piece up too kind of breaking down the Super Bowl rosters and uh, in the paths that players took to get there as well.
0: Look forward to uh, to reading those at cbsports.com Shehan, as always, thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: We'll see you later. That is uh, Shehan Jayaraja from CBS Sports.